Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Today we get a lesson from a demon. In fact, from thousands of demons. They plagued this man for years. Just picture this. I mean, he was naked, living in the tombs. Living in the tombs. They shackled him. They put shackles and chains on him to try and keep him under control. But the demon would overpower them and drive him out. You might say that this man was the most unclean of the unclean. Think about the Levitical law, you know. Uh, You wouldn't go associate with a dead person. You certainly wouldn't touch a dead person or be in the same room as a dead person, let alone live in the tombs. But you could look at him and say he's the most unclean of the unclean. Not a likely candidate to receive the honor and blessing of God. Or so we would think. From our eyes, we would look at it that way. He's not the likely candidate for God's blessing. Notice also in the lesson, the confession of the demons. What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? This is a confession that the demon is making as to who exactly this man, Jesus of Nazareth, is. And the uh, the demons were drawn to Jesus because they knew who he was. They knew that he had authority over them. That's why they're pleading with him, do not torment me. They knew that the day would come and will come when Satan and all of his demons will be tormented. But they were saying, not, in, not now. Don't send us into the abyss yet. That was their, pl- their plea. And Jesus commanded them out of the man. They had to obey. They didn't have a choice. But he granted them permission to enter this herd of pigs. Which, next thing you know, the pigs run headlong down a cliff into a lake and drown, all drown there. Recall that according to the Levitical laws, pigs are unclean animals. See, there's more uncleanness going on. Pigs are unclean animals. Jews were strictly forbidden from owning pigs, from handling pigs, from eating pigs. No bacon, not not kosher. I saw some, I think some people's hearts just skipped a beat when I said no bacon. So were the pig owners here, in this case, were they Gentiles? Some people people say, yeah, they were Gentiles, obviously because they owned pigs. Well, others say, no, no, they were Jews. Uh, I mean, it's opposite Lake Galilee, so it's on the other side. Some, Some people say, no, they're Gentiles. When Luke says opposite Lake Galilee or opposite Galilee, um, he's saying not Jews. I don't know. I I tend to think, no, they were Jews. I mean, they were right in the same vicinity. There were Jews all around. They were just Jews who were blatantly disregarding the law. And they were owning pigs, lots of pigs. In Mark's gospel, he he gives a number. He says 2,000 pigs perish. So this is not like this little herd, like what um, my family keeps wanting to procure, a little herd of goats for our front yard. 
This isn't like that. It's not like a little herd. It's uh, 2,000 <laughs> pigs. Anyway, either way, whether they were Jews or Gentiles, they were presented with a miracle in this account. A man who was demon-possessed, filled with such power that he broke free from shackles and chains, deranged to the point of living naked and in a tomb. Yet, he was healed miraculously, and they were all witnesses to that. He was healed miraculously, he was healed instantly, and he was healed permanently by Jesus. As proof of the miracle, the pigs rush down the cliff and are drowned. Meanwhile, the formerly demon-possessed man was found to be clothed in his right mind, and what else? Sitting at the feet of Jesus. Sitting at the feet of Jesus. It doesn't mean he was just like hanging out by the feet of Jesus. I mean, it means that he was sitting in a position, coming to Jesus and and being in a position to be fed and to learn and to grow from Jesus. That's what this expression means, sitting at the feet of Jesus. How How do you respond to such a miracle? And in the gospel lesson, we see two two ways. One, the people all around were filled with what? Fear. They were filled with fear. They trusted that Jesus had performed this miracle because they saw it. They did not trust that it was for their benefit. You know, uh, James, think of James 2.19. Even the demons believe and shudder. That's what James says. Even the demons believe and shudder. And we see that here in this gospel lesson. The demons do believe. They confess Jesus, son of the most high God. There's no mistaking what they are saying. They are ascribing to Jesus of Nazareth the position of God. They recognize who he is, son of the most high God. But faith that saves is more than just believing that Jesus is God. The demons have that faith. Faith is believing that Jesus is God and trusting that he is for you, that he lives to make intercession for you, that he is for your benefit, for your help, not your harm. This is the saving faith, which is the second response. And we see that in the man who was healed. It's embodied in this man who was formerly possessed by a demon. He sits at Jesus' feet. He looks to Jesus as the one who saves. And by looking to Jesus for all good, he ascribes to Jesus virtue, a positive disposition towards sinners. He's looking at Jesus not as his judge, but as his savior. He doesn't expect harm from Jesus, but rather he expects healing. That's the position of faith. That's the faith, is we look to Jesus and we see good. We expect the good that he means to, that he intends for us. That's what we look for when we look at Jesus, not our judge, our savior. Jesus caused the pigs to be destroyed. A lot of pigs and a lot of money, as you can imagine. And he scared the people. And what was their response? Get away, Jesus. Get out of here. We don't need you around killing off pigs 
and destroying our wealth. This is our livelihood. Off with you, Jesus. In our lives, Jesus causes Christians to do many things that the world does not understand. This person drove an old car without air conditioning. Couldn't they afford to get a newer car? I mean, I always see them donating money to the poor. That doesn't make any sense. The world says, get away, Jesus. We don't mean to be impoverished by feeling benevolent or overly generous. This other person is killed, a martyr, simply because they refused to bow down to a false god. All you have to do is just a little pinch of incense, say, Hail Caesar, that's all you got to do, and we're not going to execute you. No, just go ahead and kill me now. That was the response. The world says, get away, Jesus. We don't need you around when it means that our life is on the line. There's a person who lost their friends. Something about being a Christian, they just couldn't ignore the lifestyle sins that were all around them, you know? I mean, they had the audacity to say, fornication is a sin. Homosexuality is a sin. Oh, I mean, there are sins for which Christ died. Oh, drunkenness, yeah, that's a sin. It is a sin for which Christ died, and he calls you to repent of that sin. And as a loving person, what do I do? I just ignore it? I'm not going to say anything to my, my friend? Or am I going to pull him aside and say, friend, you're walking in the wrong direction. You got to turn around. Go back this way. You are going the wrong way. I'm doing that in love. Well, guess what? That costs a friendship. Yeah. And the world says, get away, Jesus. We don't want that to lose our friendships on account of you. There have been times when every one of us has said, get away, Jesus. Why? Well, because sometimes it's easier to live in a pagan world as a pagan. Sometimes that's the easier thing to do. A lot of times that's the easier thing to do. And it's easier to to be a pagan in a pagan world than to be a Christian in a pagan world. So what now? Do we despair of our failures? Do we scourge ourselves? We do the Martin Luther and we go and spend five hours in confession and then we leave and we take a whip and whip our back and then we go back to confession again? No, by no means do we do that. Although the man wanted, in fact, he begged that he might go with Jesus and be with him, Jesus gave these instructions. He said, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And the man went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Did you notice that at the last, those last couple verses? Jesus said, go and declare how much God has done for you. And Luke tells us that the man went and declared how much Jesus had done for him. 
gosh, it's almost like Jesus and God are, are interchangeable, like, like Jesus is God. Yeah, and, and that, that's right. That's, that's not a mistake. That's the way Luke meant to say it. Indeed, Jesus is God, and he had healed the man. And likewise, Jesus does not look on your sins as something for which you should be tormented. God has given you faith so that you can see Jesus. Not as your judge, but as your Savior. He works all things together for your good. Jesus, don't get away. Don't go away from me. No, come nearer to me. I mean, if if Jesus is your judge, bar the doors. (laughs) Stay away. I don't want to be judged. So why don't we bar the doors? Why do we invoke God's name and beg that he come and be with us? Why do we come to this table and receive the sacrament? Christ bodily, his body and his blood. Why do we do that? Why do we let Jesus come so near to us to actually be in us? Because we have faith to see him as the savior that he is, not as the judge. Indeed, he is our savior. He is returning. And he will judge the earth. That's when he returns. And he will look and say, well done, good and faithful servant. When did I feed the poor? When did I do this and that? Well, you just did it. Just like you breathe because you're a human being. You do good works because you're a Christian. And it's not. And you don't get credit for it. And you don't even think about it or notice it. But you just do it because that's who you are. And it's not about being saved or earning, saved or earning your salvation. It's in a response to who you are. It's, it's who he's made you to be. Don't go away, Jesus. Come closer. Be here. Friends, Jesus has suffered the torment that was due for your sins. He suffered that torment. So go forth and proclaim the grace that Jesus has had on you. Proclaim that he has redeemed you, that he has healed you from all your sins, that he has defeated your satanic foe. Satan can't accuse you anymore. What's Satan going to accuse you of? Being a lying, cheating, sinful human being? Yeah, duh. Uh, But guess what? Jesus has overcome that. I'm not denying it, Satan. I'm just saying that's, that's what my Savior has overcome. Jesus has defeated all of your satanic foes. Even as you do experience suffering and loss in this life, you know that your Redeemer lives and that he lives to make intercession for you, to save you now and forever. Hear the words of Jesus, and I want to close with these. Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. Declare that. Share that. That's, that's evangelism. It's just telling others about, this is what Jesus has done for me. And this is what he's done for all people. And for everyone. He's done it for everyone. So you can share this message with everyone. The peace of God which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.